Welcome to 80s Music Exposed, the podcast in which we review all the best albums of the 80s, one month at a time. We will break them down, give you the skinny, and duke it out over whether you should or should not dig these back out again. If you are ready for an 80s music deep dive, from Public Enemy to Wham, Eno to XTC, Madonna, hair metal, reggae, and all points in between, then Crank the boombox, turn the Walkman up to 10, and ooh, let's go. Now, from the kitchen, Chris and Henry. All yes. Right. Yes, Queen. I don't like when you do that, by the way. When I stick my hands up like this. No, I don't like the um, yes. the two dope Queens reference. I don't you know, I didn't even realize I was doing that. You're doing I just it. thought it was cool. Well, it is cool, but it's but cool. not for a white dude like me. No, it might even be cool for a white dude, but we need something from our podcast that people start doing it on their show, like going, um, Lucina. <laughs> we need a catchphrase. Yeah, we need a catchphrase. You know, like Marin's got uh, who lives or whatever the cat. What's the girl do? I haven't listened to the intro in a while. What does she do? She does something where she does her voice really weird for one second, where she goes. Oh, and all points in between. All points in between. <laughs> that should be our <laughs> Anyway, folks, this is going to be the second half of September of 1980. And we did the first half last that's week. That's right. And you're listening to 80s Music Exposed. Oh, right. I'm that's Chris. what we do. And yep. I'm Henry. Yep. So uh, September, yeah. Yep, September. Second half, September. Big month. Big month. Ten records that we were reviewing. All right. So of the two, of the two halves, yes. which, uh, which half... Are you more partial to part the part one or the part two section? This is an interesting question because I feel like all week you've been really geeked up about part two. Well, it's because I telegraph shit too much and I have nobody to talk to but you about it. Well, I'm looking back. So so last, for those that didn't listen, last episode we did a George Jones record, a Tom Waits record, a Dead Kennedys record, a Kate Bush record, and Simple Minds. I would have to say, Henry, going in cold. Uh Uh-huh. I was more geeked up about the first half, uh-huh. but after reviewing all the records, I don't know how you're going to come down. That'll be the interesting thing to see, yeah. but I think the second half turned out to be my favorite. Let's, uh, all right. So here's how we pick them. We, uh, pick records from each month of the eighties. We've gone from January and we're now up through September. We pick five records. Some months have so many releases that we have to do a special double issue. Get that? Get that? Was that from Double Man Gone? Replacements reference? Nope. Didn't the magazine she flips through is a special double issue. Okay. So, uh, and if you could carry a melody better, I would have, I would have totally gone. Dude, was that, was that off key? So we uh, we use all music five star reviews we to do. make the selection Grammy nominees, and we uh, we pull out selections from history that we love because we know stuff about music. And there, I can't let an opportunity go by to turn people on to something cool. And also, uh, we use the Rolling Stone year end top twenty fives from that time period, not from now. Right, and so it means we don't use things like Pitchfork. We don't. Uh, uh, use somebody else's reference to look back. We're looking at what they said was good then, then, and really checking our checking us to see if it still passes muster, if it's still as good as they said it was. And Henry, we've got a new segment that we introduced last time that, from our other podcast. Um, yes, it's our whiskey segment. So, we, folks, we're going to be drinking a five star whiskey 
Um, well, maybe five a, star. Maybe, maybe a five star whiskey every episode, but we will be drinking one, and we're going to review it real quick before we get into the music of the eighties. Henry, what are we drinking tonight? George Dickel Barrel Dickel. Select. Barrel Select. There are different different kinds of George Dickel. There's Old Number Eight. There's Superior Number Twelve. There's Barrel Select, which is what we've got. It's a small batch. It's eighty six proof, right? Um, you've got George Dickel Rye. And you've got something called Number One Foundation Recipe, which is corn whiskey. That would be 91 interesting. 91 proof. We'll have to maybe corn work our way through gross. all the dickles. I've never had it, but I do I know have. that I love rye, so I'm excited mm-hmm. maybe to try the rye. Henry, this is a delicious Surprisingly whiskey. Surprisingly smooth. I don't know that I've ever paid it much attention before. Sounds like it's right from our neck of the woods. Yeah. Neck of the wood. Yeah, because it's Tennessee whiskey. You know, I got a comment the other day from somebody on Twitter who said our accent's were really heavy and they enjoyed that. Oh yeah. <laughs> I never really think of our accents as heavy, but I, I guess they are Dickel. Dickel. George Dickel. <laughs> was it somebody from up north? I don't know where they were from. I, I'm not that um, astute at Twitter. I can't tell where they're regionally located, but <laughs> um, it was a comment they made. Um, so let's go into what we like to also do. Uh, so we are going to be sipping on Dickel while we talk. We also like to talk about significant events from the month that was, but Henry, because this is a double, uh, episode. Yes. I kind of blew all the good events from September of 1980 last all episode. All the good events? Right. So what I thought I would do um, is I entered some biographical information about myself at that time. <laughs> just, just to give our... <laughs> Just to give our hey listeners. world, let me tell you what's up. Let me make it about me for a minute. Well, and I also, if you notice on the show notes, put a little spot for you to do the same, and you failed to do so. <laughs> I blew it. So, folks, here's what it was happening with little Chris at the time. I was an eight-year-old. I had just moved to Tennessee one year prior. I uh-huh. grew up in Florida. Um, so it was in 1979. I moved to Tennessee. Uh, I was in third grade. At, at the time. And I want to also tell you guys, this is an important thing for me. Henry, uh-huh. there was a magazine that I had in 1980 that changed my whole worldview on music. I remember this exact issue. I posted a picture of it on our drive. It was a magazine called Bananas. I wondered what that was. I was looking on the drive and so, I was like, what the hell is he doing? And actually, this? folks, next episode, was an accident. I will have that, I will have that actual magazine here in studio because I ordered a copy. I found it Did on you eBay. Really? But if you look at the cover of that magazine, it basically was trying to tell uh, young people what the future of music was going to be and what the eighties would hold. And on the cover was this band called The Knack. Mm. It also listed a band called The Cars, and it listed Cheap Trick. Three bands that became pivotal for me in the 80s because of that magazine. I tried out those bands as a little kid who was just into metal and garbage on the mm. radio and ended up really liking those bands. Also, uh, just to quickly mention about this time period, I don't know if I didn't even realize Bananas was a children's magazine until I went back and researched it. But everything right around 1980, like those mm-hmm. magazines and things, separated the 80s from other decades in the past because the 80s were all about the future. Everything was going to be like parachute pants came out and all this stuff like synthetic materials and mm-hmm. moon boots. I don't know if you remember we had I do. had these things called moon boots. It just seemed weird to me. Like the 80s seemed like the last decade 
that everyone was looking forward instead of looking retro. Like when the 90s hit, it was like all... Like the 80s didn't eat anything. The 80s weren't eating... Right? Thank you. The 80s weren't eating the 60s like the way the 90s were eating the 70s in it, my mind. For, for some reason, like any bits of 1980s culture, I don't see it as eating anything else. Right. Like it was all pretty new. Right. But I will uh, bring this magazine, and it was pivotal in my musical formation, so I was really happy to find a copy. <laughs> Henry, tell us about the well, young... Henry in September of 1980. What was I doing in September of 1980? I was a little bit older than you. Uh, I didn't even listen to music very much back then. I, um, Where were you living? I lived. I had. I, I had to be living in Lucoma, North Carolina, at an elementary school, third grade. And I don't. But I don't even really remember. I, I listened to some of my dad's music collection. And I knew a little, as we go through the months here, I'll latch on to something that I know played on the radio. Right. During that time right. frame, you know. But um, I don't remember having a lot of, like, the media that you, like, you had coming through. Right. So it was interesting. But we're here to review records. Yes, And we're we going to move right on to that. And, Henry, will you tell us what the first record we're going to look at? First record we're going to look at is by uh, the Thin White Duke. Woo! David Bowie. This is a big one. Big one. We we he decided to swing for the fences on the first record and try to make the other ones match it. I don't know, man. It's uh, scary. It's called Scary Monsters most of the time. People call it that, but it's the official title of the record is Scary Monsters and Super Creeps. Uh, it it is his fourteenth album. The dude in nineteen eighty, okay, was on his fourteenth record. That's right. You know. That's right. So crazy. And so this is the record that he did right after the Berlin Trilogy, which right. is like Low. And what are the other two called, Chris? Uh, Heroes and Lodger. Right. So um, uh, I gave this a, a, a good hearty listen. I, I think we should put one out there for the people to listen to. What All do you right. Think? What do you want to play? So we're going to play the first song on the record, which is called It's No Game Part One. So that was the opening track off of Scary Monsters. And uh, Henry, I'm going to let you start on this one. Well, one of the reasons I wanted to play that song is because I know I, there's probably a whole lot to read about this, first of all. Like, you would probably spend a day doing some research. You'd have to listen to the other records in David Bowie's career and all that to draw all the lines together. But uh, Robert Fripp played guitar. Prayed? Robert Fripp played guitar. Played guitar. <laughs> On this, and reportedly he was told 
to play like B.B. King, or, or like he was trying to outdo B.B. King, but don't play like B.B. at all. <laughs> right? And as I listened to him, I'm like, shit, I get it. Like, he's, he's really out-bluesing the blues with not blues much at all. It's so weird. Do you do you know, do you know, I can't even explain it right. Yeah, you know what I'm it's, going with that. It's weird because um, those were the kinds of things that they did to Robert Fripp. So he had not yeah. appeared on a record since Heroes, and the the guitar on Heroes, that song Heroes, that is basically pervasive throughout. It's like one. It's kind of remi- it's like what we used to talk about with the Matthew Sweet records mm-hmm. in the ninety, where there's like one long guitar solo on Heroes all the way through. They flew him into Berlin, and they made him do that. Like he'd been on like a twenty-hour flight, and they ran him into the studio and made him do all that mm-hmm. right off the bat. But they gave him some strange instructions too, kind of just like it was kind of a Tony uh, Visconti thing to just kind of fuck with Robert Fripp. Because I think reading between the lines, he was kind of a crotchety, curmudgeonly Fripp was. Yeah, so he would like he would argue about it or whatever, and be like, "What do you got? And like, why, why are you saying you know?" And they would just laugh and be like play the track and then he would just do it mm-hmm. and he would do it exactly the way that they'd wanted him to do it so yeah i think that's part of the legend of the whole robert fripp experience because he never really spent a ton of time in the studio with um either record um this but you know there were two records in between uh when he did heroes and then he came back for scary monsters another big uh if you're a bowie head another big important part of this record was this was the first after the Berlin trilogy that Brian Eno was not a part of working on the records. Right. Um, and, and I think a lot of people attribute that to why this one sounds like it was going for a more commercial sound. It was definitely more focused uh, sounding than the Berlin trilogy. And I also think the guitars sound to me, the guitars sound like what the eighties are going to start sounding it, like more hard yeah. and angular. And it's so weird to hear, uh, hear people s- refer to it that way, because weirdly enough, I didn't, I didn't perceive it as a commercial an overtly commercial thing at all on my first pass. Right. I read what Tony Visconti said about the record, which was that it was let, it was more calculated Right than the previous three. My feeling about the, about it, I would say this is Bowie stepping out of the Eno trilogy world and working his way to Let's Dance. Right. Yeah. Or, so or this I, is that this is that interim period where you're sort of starting to figure out what you like in pop music and pop structure and what sounds right and that kind of thing. It's like a, it sounds like an intermediate. This record basically told you what new new way right. music was going. It was basically like Bowie did in the seventies where he told Iggy pop and all those guys, this is what you should sound like and predated them. Yes. The, he puts but, scary monsters out predates new wave and then just walks away it, from it. But it was a success is the thing. Bowie just puts it out there and, and basically tells you what all the bands in the next five years are going to sound like. And then walks away from the, it. Right. And then, uh, it does something else. Right. But it's like, uh, I, I kept thinking about the Bible. Like, there's this thing where they sit somebody. I don't know if it's a biblical term or not, but it's there's nothing new under the sun. And so I kept in my mind, and I'll do this later with another record that we're going to listen to. In my mind, I'm drawing connections to bands that I like, like bands that I sure that 
if I had not, and I, to be honest, I hadn't listened to this record from beginning to end. You well, know? and for, who can listen to the entirety of David for Bowie's me, this catalog? Is, right. This is one of those records where I remember as a kid, MTV was cool mm-hmm. in 1980. Anything on MTV was cool, but when a when Ashes to Ashes or Fashion came on, it was like, mm-hmm. oh, this is the cool part of MTV. This is the yeah. avant-garde like i don't even know what the fuck is going on in ashes to ashes it's the one where they're all in the mime clown mm-hmm. cons- costumes walking on the beach but i knew enough then even at nine to go oh this is the cool end of the pool like the bug the buggles are down here on the that's fun <laughs> right, <laughs> you know, but this meatloaf this is, is the down cool there kids. on the okay whatever you're doing this is where right. the cool kids swim down here. <laughs> right. This is what the 80s mean are going to mean. He here was a very successful rock star of a kind, but he had yet to be like mega superstar. He wasn't. He was like the, you know, he was like the biggest of the indie guys before there was an indie guy at this point. Yeah. I mean, he knew Mick Jagger and all those guys, but he wasn't a Beatle or a Rolling Stone right. until Let's Dance. So when I listen to it, all I keep thinking in my mind is shit he did do it first and everybody else ripped off david and he said so on the record <laughs> he said as much right so which is which is uh really cool it just propped up everything that i ever thought about him in all know? honesty we could probably do for me because he to me is the greatest pop rock star ever because of the longevity of his career and what he meant to the different eras he contributed something throughout all periods of his career that blew everybody away but with all that said we could probably do a whole episode on bowie just focusing on this record it is to me so monumentally important to the 80s even though i don't think it was commercially especially in america mm. huge i don't even know how i can say i recommended henry this is like required listening if you're into white yeah. people uh new wave 80s music if you like abc or if you like duran duran or if you like devo this record is required listening. Yeah. I mean, I, it's even silly for me to have to say to whether be a, right, I'm going to recommend this it's like It's like saying to somebody, should you read Howl? Right. You know, yeah, yeah, of so course you should read At the end of this Howl. episode, we always pick our favorite uh, recommended the, of the time of this episode. I'm not going to recommend this one because this is like recommending the Beatles to someone that's never heard <laughs> right. pop music. So I'm going to – this one is – up in the pantheon of the greatest records of all time. So, of course, you should listen to it. guy named David Buckley, who was the biographer, he called it the perfect balance of creativity and mainstream success. We, we could spend all day on, on this record, but I obviously it's a recommend for me. I would let's say, say I let's did, agree. Let's agree now that we're not going to say leave it. We're going to pick from the other four. For say that everyone who listens to this podcast, do yourself a favor. There's a 2017 remaster of it uh, every, every, right. everywhere you look. Uh, put it in your ear holes. Yep, yep. All right, let's move on, Henry. The next album we're going to listen to is Black Sea by a band called XTC. And the song we're going to play is Generals and Majors. <laughs>
So Henry, this is a band um, that I love, I, I, and I I discovered them in the '90s in college, not when they came out. I don't think I knew about them at all in 1980. I wasn't aware of them until their "Dear God" video, which came out. Did you read my later. notes? I didn't. Okay. I'm sorry. Am I, am I, okay. <laughs> no, no, I'm just kidding. But my biggest like, point that I, I feel wanted, like a ditto head over here. <laughs> well, yeah. the biggest point I wanted to make about it is every time I hear fucking XTC, I'm like, why don't I always listen to XTC more? And then I will just stop. I'll forget about them and go away. Listening to Black Sea, which they have, they have some different sounds. Uh, English settlement sounds different than Black Sea. Um, lemons and oranges. Is that the one? I'm maybe misquoting the name of the album, but it's their real Beatle-esque kind of uh, jangly record, which is really cool. But what I want to say about Black Sea is, to me, it sounded, Henry, as I was listening to it, like if Elvis Costello, Paul McCartney, and Paul Weller decided to form a band in the 80s, it would have been XTC. (laughs) Because they take the elements of Elvis Costello, that kind of frenetic, yes, and they've got the Paul Weller kind of, uh, you know, poppy, like, short song uh-huh. uh mean something kind of thing and then they've got the paul mccartney uh coming up kind of feel and it's all mixed together perfectly right but you know uh, i'm with you totally on the dear god part in fact that's the first taste i ever got of xtc it was probably i almost right wish that song had never happened that's the problem that was the problem is i i, I got it said oh that's a cute song it's pigeonholed them it's, in America's one hit so, wonder. It's one kind of band. And so I didn't even bother to look at the records because I thought, well, it's just pleasant. It's not an, it's not 1999 by the record pleasant. So there was a million other things to waste my money on. Now, uh, 2019, and I get a chance to pull it up, and my mind is fucking blown by the, by the by this. <laughs> I didn't know it was like this. I'm t- here's the this, I, so this is their third record, right? No, fourth, fourth. So this by their fourth record, he is already writing to my in my mind masterful pop song. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, there would be no Decemberists without bands like XTC. Oh no, I mean th- this is like um, avant or avant yeah. pop. I mean it's like smart pop. Every song is about something. And there it, were guitars all over it. Do you know who ripped rips off Andy Partridge melody-wise? Frank Black. Oh, wow. I didn't think Listen of that. Listen to, next time, you, if you get a chance, pull it up. Listen I was to thinking, the melody. I was even thinking more closer because I hear a lot of Joe Jackson trying to sound... I just, I'm like, Frank Black is trying saying. to write like Andy. And if you took... The Pixies, and you took away the some of the psychedelic like word play, for example, and maybe the loud, fast, loud of the song. Right, right. you'd have something similar to XTC. I personally, and this I is think, going to be heresy. I personally think XTC is a better band and writes better songs. I also think if you know anything about XTC, um, 
as I was a fan in the 90s. I think what really killed XTC was they decided uh, Andy Partridge didn't want to tour. He didn't – he had uh, – I don't know what you stage call it. Stage fright. Stage anxiety mm-hmm. to the point where he couldn't play out. And so they stopped – he played like playing live. The last song he played in eight was in '82. Uh, uh, it was "Respectable Street" off this record, and that was another thing that I knew about XTC, but didn't investigate. I didn't have Wikipedia to know. Was right, the, was the that got my attention? I'm like, really, he's a recluse now. You know, that's right. Yeah, I think it's a great record. Each of the the thing I like about XTC too is each of their records is its own thing. So Black Sea is kind of its own sound. I also think that. We were given the chance to listen to Black Sea in when we were buying records. Like I think if we had gotten a hold of it in the nineties when it hadn't been remastered, we'd have been like, meh, I don't know. If we'd had it in nineteen eighty, I don't know what we would have thought. I think I would have liked it more in nineteen eighty than right when we started buying records and stuff, because it sounds so pop mm-hmm. and so well crafted to me that I might not have liked it as much in I- the nineties. The musicianship is really great too, which is a weird thing for English bands coming out of that time period mm. where they're not really trying to pretend to be punk or anything like that. They really are crafting uh, great sounding songs. I think Black Sea has gotten better with age. Like it's it it sounds great now. It doesn't sound like the I hate to say this because I love and adore the eighties, but it doesn't sound like the eighties to me. Like you could listen to this now and be like, damn, I-. there's no cornball eighties ele- uh, right. element on the record, right? There were commercial records that were challenging, right? That did that were like the first one, like that was Bowie went platinum in the UK with right. that first record. Uh, uh, this this Black Sea, it was a uh, it went to like number 16 it was the second highest chart it's the most successful american album they've ever had and it but it's still probably to the, the majority of regular peop, folks in america right. xdc was non-existent yeah. i would argue it's because they didn't have a video yeah this would have fit right in on mtv really mtv was starting to tell people what was you were supposed to listen yeah, to and at, at some point. point in the 90s the alternative you, you were called alternative if what you listened to had some authenticity to it well, sure, yeah. The nineties were—that's all it was. The nineties were different because all the all yeah. the stuff that we're talking about, new wave, uh-huh. was co-opted in the late eighties. As and I think, which is going to be an interesting part of our show, Henry, because I kind of fast forwarded to look if we make it. Uh-huh. Music actually started to suck in the late eighties, really, because well, it started start getting co-opting. It? And I think it's you know, nineties. There's a sea change, but anyway, we'll get there. Black Sea. I would hazard to guess, Henry, that the majority of people that listen to this podcast have not heard Black Sea. It's a recommend for me. I hadn't. Yeah, big so, recommend for me. Definitely uh, check uh, out. Produced Black by C. Steve Lilly, white guy, same guy did Morrissey later. And I and I think you can't go wrong if you like this with any XTC record. Um, they're all good and they're all kind of different in their own way, which is something I like about XTC. Yeah, cool. Henry, what's the next record? All right, the next one we're going to talk about. And now for something completely different. Now for something completely different. We're going to listen to Wild Plant. Well, the record that we're is Wild Planet by the B-52s, and the track we're going to give you a taste of is one called Running Around.
an interesting one because it's this band was close enough to us regionally like we could have driven right and it, to there's, say hello. there's a lot of elements to the b-52s that i recognize there was a lot of late 80s southern hipster yep alternative culture that we were being turned on to that we didn't even realize had basically been created by the b-52s in the early 80s like we didn't know we didn't know that was where it was coming from, but like there was a band here in Charlotte called Fetch and Bones, mm-hmm. which I think went right down the B-52's playbook. In fact, uh, Hope Nichols, who was the main driving force in that band, still runs some clothing stores here in Charlotte that if you walk in to now, today, I would say the B-52 look, the beehives and the thrift store clothes and the John Waters um, obsession – is pretty much the same look going on. So <laughs> the John Waters obsession. Well, I, I guess you're right. Man. I guess I, I hadn't that. listened to Wild Planet in a long time, but my whole yeah. impetus was there was this. I don't know how big John Waters was with with uh, gay culture mm-hmm. um, at the time, but this whole thing looks like it's John Waters influence. Like these people were big uh, John Waters um, fans. I know even the cover Henry is interesting because you know like those polyester pants mm-hmm. and the, all that thrift store look. That was counterculture for the 80s at that point because nobody wanted to look like at that point you were wearing old stuff. You wanted to look like you were modern and wearing new shit. Beef, beehive hairdos were like you might as well walk down the street with a dick tattooed on your face. <laughs> really? You know what I mean? Like this was super kind of out there. And this was their second one. So they'd started doing this in the late 70s. Right. And so I, I, I was interesting to read that I found out a lot of the material on this record had already they already had when they made the first record Mm -hmm. they had already planned i thought which was pretty smart they didn't want their second album to suck so they they held back some of their good material they thought they already had Uh after they recorded the first record so that they could they would be ready with the second record to not be um a dud i i personally think if you listen to the two records back to back they definitely have the same feel Although the second record was recorded at Compass Point Studios, the famous one in Jamaica, which I believe some other records we've already reviewed were recorded there. Um, and it's not Jamaica. It's Bahamas. The Bahamas. And I made that same mistake when we talked about another record really? earlier. Um, <laughs> What's the difference between Bahamas and Jamaica? I don't, that sounds like a bad like joke. I don't know. In there, but I, Are they? <laughs> I will say, Henry, that we in the 90s had this aversion to, to Fred Schneider. I was pleasantly surprised how much more I I thought what he did was not was crucial to this record until I got to a song called Quiche Lorraine. <laughs> now, if you look go on, <laughs> if you look through the if you look through John Waters' colored glasses, Quiche Lorraine's a great song. At first, man, but if you look through it as sitting with this album, that song should not be on this album. You know. It played and played, and I got to Quiche Lorraine, and it was, okay, this is about a dog, I guess, but maybe not about a dog, but it's mostly about a dog. Well, here's my other, here's my other issue with Fred. And tell I mean, me, and tell me. Well, you can't, you can't so, be right, swagging on so, Fred Schneider. If you look, if you look, if you look at the B-52s, they're a very interesting band because 
I always had the impression that they none of them played really well or were you know they were just kind of like party people who just wanted to be in a band. Okay. Turns out that's what the legend is. It's not true at all. The so Ricky Wilson, who was basically the main songwriter up until he passed, played guitar. Also, the drummer played guitar even before he started playing the drums in the band. See, the word is that he learned. Hold on. No. He actually knew how to play. He had to learn how to play the way Ricky played because Ricky only played with alternate tunings. Uh So when he died, he had to learn all those alternate tunings. It was almost like learning the guitar new. But these guys were like, Ricky was like a super great musician with... I don't know if you you play a little guitar. You know how hard it is to do all your shit in alternate tuning. Yes. Um, So I'm putting these guys off as a party band. Also, I didn't know this doing my research. Both the girls played keyboards, guitar, and drums. I didn't know that. When they got two records after this one, they started asking them not to play at all and -hmm. just to sing when they got to the one that went huge in the middle 80s. I didn't know that. And they both agreed to do it because it was was okay for their sound. Mm -hmm. But... They were great musicians too. So the only person in the band that wasn't a great musician, my man, Fred. But Fred wrote songs. So here's my th- theory on Fred, Henry. There's what? this weird phenomenon starting with Fred going through uh, Bez and Happy Mondays. <laughs> and also this guy in the Sugar Cubes, who I can't pronounce his name, that are more like these weird... MC vibe kind of okay, dudes that set the set like 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 Fred was probably the guy live that got the party going. I just don't know that the Fred's thing translates so well Fred, to the record. Fred Fred has to be in the B fifty twos. There is no band without Fred Schneider. Hmm. The entire sound of the band is is predicated on the way that he sounds. Hmm. There's no you can't have it. Any other way. So there's a EP that they came out with uh, about two years after this called Mesopotamia, which was going to be a full-length record, but they cut it short because they didn't like the didn't direction. They like the songs. Yeah, I read They that. didn't like it, and it was being produced by David Byrne, who said, let's do less Fred. <laughs> and the B-52 <laughs> said, suck it. But <laughs> I listened to Mesopotamia, and there is l- much less Fred. And but he's in there. But much less Fred, and I enjoy it much more. Oh, on a God. whole, so it's heresy, man. I know I may be, so, but with all that said, I, get, I think Wild Planet is slammed on that one. Wild Planet is a really good record to me. It was like, well, we we don't have the money to go get banging DJs, and we want to party every weekend. Yeah. Why don't we just create it ourselves? And yeah, of course, it's going to be just joyful because it's like it's not made for anything else. It, I don't think they were trying to make statements. I, necessarily now maybe henry i did get this feeling that maybe they were so deep in their own counterculture that there's references in there to things that you know we're not getting like private idaho to me still sounds like it's about somebody specifically in athens that they're trying to know yeah but i also liked how uh, obviously the movie uh van zant used that for the name of his movie but never played the song in the movie and never uh, referenced why the words private Idaho in the yeah. movie, which I thought was kind of, Hey, cool. do you remember, uh, I don't mean to interrupt you, but do you remember we reviewed, uh, Paul Simon's, uh, one trick pony right. several months ago? Yes. They were in the movie. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. <Really? laughs> yes. Playing. 
I don't, well, you know, we, we can't get a copy of that movie, right? That's, that's like a movie it. we can find. It's like out of print or something. I don't know, but they were in it. Wow, okay. But so was Lou Reed. Well, anyway, I would I would recommend, recommend this record again. This is my third recommend out of three. Um, I think it's definitely, I don't think it's a seminal 80s record, but I think it's a really good record. Definitely seminal if you're from the South yeah. at the time. Now, and, you, and if you're listening to this and you're like, my only frame of reference to the B-52s is, you see a faded side at the side of the road. That song, okay, was written by folks who did records way back in 1980, and they had another guitar player, and they sounded really good then, too. Who passed away from AIDS right. uh, not two years later. Right. The guitars are good, and uh, and it's uh, probably a little more edgy. Some of it, the- and, it's, and it's remarkable. We should give credit for a band that lost their main driving yeah. musical force to come back. And pres- I, I remember Cosmic Thing being like one of the biggest records of the year that year that it came out. Yeah. We'll, we'll get to it. But it's amazing. Enormous hit. Yeah, it's like losing uh, Pete Townsend and the Who just moving on. Cool. All right, so Wild Planet is a thumbs up for me. Same here. All right, and Henry, let's move on to the next record, which is going to be Hotter Than July by Stevie Wonder. And the song we're going to start with is All I Do. This is a weird one for me, Henry. I didn't expect him to do like a kaleidoscope of styles. I didn't expect there to I be. I know which one you're going to talk. Don't talk about it yet. Well, I'm not going to. Don't gonna, talk about okay, it. Okay, I won't. I'm as, I was as weirded out as you Okay, were. but not I'm, just okay. not just that one. There's a there's a varying, there's a, there's a reggae sounding yes. song on here. There's a song that sounds like what I think Stevie Wonder is supposed to sound like to me on here. Then there's, I forgot about, I didn't even know. Henry, I'm so dumb. I didn't even know. I've heard black people all my life to say this when they say happy birthdays. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. I didn't know that was a song about Dr. Martin Luther King. And I didn't know that that was a Stevie Wonder song. And so I was discovering all kinds of stuff. I love this record. The dude, I too, really man. love this record. That's now, why I'm trying to tell you I've been texting you this week. Like, and I am so like, angry at myself. It's a bunch that you're like sending it over the fucking net. So to me, this is the last record before. So in my mind, Stevie Wonder was the prince of the 70s. And this is his. You want to read from my notes again? Oh, no. Stevie this is Wonder is song. like the prince of this type of music. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I wrote yeah, exactly. So this is I'm the stop doing a podcast with you. <laughs> Maybe we should start reading each other. Yeah, 
I feel like this is We're becoming the same person. Fuck. This, this is before he hands the mantle over to Prince to take over yeah. the 80s. Yeah, I, we, we have to talk about at some point that one song that just, I almost had to pull the car over because I didn't know what was going on. I looked at my, I was like, does something happen to my, does something happen to my Spotify? What the hell, man? And he kills it. It's great. <laughs> he kills it. And I'll tell you something else about that song. It it just shows you how close all these different pop musical styles actually yeah. are to each other. That if if you've got skills, you can pretty much roll between the two or three. And you're like, normal idiots like me will go, yeah. wow, I didn't right. know country could sound like right, rhythm so and audience, blues. let me explain. The record has a song on it. It's called I Ain't Gonna Stand For It. And when it starts out, you think that you have somehow gotten away from Stevie Wonder and you're now listening to a country artist of some kind. A country, because he sings with a dead on country accent, like a faux accent. Would like you a say? Nashville. I don't know. It was the second single from this record. It got to number four on R&B singles chart. It's an R&B song, yes. too. I mean, I'm listening it to it over there. and over, and it gets there. And also, Henry, did you hear the weird pedal steel on there? Yes. He has uh, We Charlie. should play that one. We should play this one. You want to put it in you there? You can't really explain All right, put this it song. on there. All right, here it is. Okay, continue. Henry. Backing this- him up. <laughs> backing him up. Or is Charlie and Ronnie Wilson of the Gap Band? <laughs> you know, when I heard that, I'm like, I'm sold, man. I'm totally sold. He's played on this thing vocals, synthesizer. He played drums. He played a Fender Rhodes. He played the bass guitar. He played a clavinet. He played, uh, he did background vocals. He did this thing called an ARP, which is like, not a Moog synthesizer. It looks like a short Moog, but it's got dials and all of this. I don't know if he had people set him up, if he you know, did it himself. He played vocoder, piano, harpsichord, celeste, keyboards, harmonica, something called a kabasa, percussion bells, hand claps. My understanding is that this is a, like a couple of records after. The, what was the big one he did? In like 77. Key, uh, songs, songs in the Key of Life. Right. And so this is the first album that has been eligible. I sounded like I was on a trivia show right now. I was like, Songs in the Key of Life. 
<laughs> like, like I was trying to beat <laughs> some other guy to say it. So the reason why... Yeah, and his next record really kind of... I think I haven't heard it yet, but I'm thinking it blew nuts because I didn't like that woman in red. It was like the soundtrack to that. Is this the... Ri- there was, it, it seemed like in the 80s he started to become Elton John, where he was starting to do these right. kind of um, crappy. Gonna, but I, I didn't mean to break your train of thought. And I, I wanted to, to um, do my love for Stevie Wonder for a minute. But I will say that my first taste of Stevie Wonder on the MTV was Ribbon in the Sky. Oh, God, yeah. That hurt. I mean, yeah. So you don't really, it, it, if, that, if that was your first look at him. That well, kind of sucks. Well, I'll be honest with you, Henry. The only album of his that I own is Songs in the Key of Life, uh, which to me borders on like a Miles Davis-y uh, 70s psychedelic uh-huh. jam thing, which I, I respect. So, But I'm not I'm not listening to it all. When I got to Hotter in July, this is one you – I think you mentioned this earlier in the podcast where you were like, I don't know that I want to put this one on or I might not like it the first time through. I was kind of expecting some a little bit more kind of like long-winded psychedelic jams. And I get on this thing and I'm like, every song's different. Yes. Every song's great. He probably just spits these out in the same way that Prince just turned out. Awesome record, or awesome song after awesome song after awesome song. I, I thought, like that. I, I'll tell you what I thought was kind of cool about it was it had all those hallmark sounds of stuff that you would have gone, this is going to sound like a corny, early 80s, um, like at the car wash, kind of sound. It's got all those instruments in it. It does not sound corny at all. No. It just sounds amazing. It's, it's great. Badass. It's and great. again, I will go here again. If you were to take this record... Now and and push it forward twenty years uh, into the uh, the late twentieth century or early twenty first century and put it out. They just said, "Okay, this is an alt soul record." Right. You know, that's what right. that would have been. Right. Just like the others, it would have been like an Anderson Pack record or yeah, yeah. something like that. Yeah. And, for and sure. why? And why is that? <laughs> you know. <laughs> well, I, I think maybe those guys are more influenced by Stevie Wonder than we think. Okay, so this is uh, the Stevie Wonder record is a thumbs up for both of us. Big thumbs up, yep. Right, and so Henry, what is our last record of the episode? Uh, all right, the last one. This is uh, we're going to listen to the Jacksons. It's a record called Triumph, and uh, the song that we're going to play from it is uh, Lovely One.
I didn't know Triumph existed. I'm going to start there. I'm not sure either one of us did. So I'm um, glad that we're doing this podcast because I got to learn about a record that I didn't know existed. I thought Michael Jackson was already out of uh, the Jacksons by the time no, that uh, Off the Wall happened. And I thought he just joined back up when they did the Pepsi generation after the tour <laughs> to throw a bone they to his, did, to they his did boy. did a couple more. I think. Uh, well, I knew they did that one in 84, but I thought he was throwing a bone to the boys. I didn't realize that they were still a functional band. He did Off the Wall in and like then I thought, 78. Yeah, and then I thought he was like, screw you guys. I'm a mega I'm, star. No, and, no, I gotta, and I've got to work on Thriller. So, I'm working on Thriller. No, Thriller wasn't there yet. I know, but i got to work it on exist. it. It's coming in my That's mind. Part of, all right, so here's part of I don't have time for Triumph, guys. I'll give you some history. Let me give some, get some opinion this is their 14th record jesus guys i've done 13 i'm working on thriller it got great reviews right it was certified platinum in the u.s went up to number 10 sold 3 million copies i'm gonna give a counter argument to triumph i feel like triumph sounds like a working draft for thriller that michael should have just gone ahead and shelved <laughs> all I kept thinking is I don't hate it. I don't if hate I it. If I was in the control room, all right, I'm gonna hit pause and say, Randy, Tito, can you guys like take five? And then I'd be like, Michael, um Do you remember that guy that you worked with a couple of years ago? Yeah. Starts with a Q. What's his name? Can we bring Jones, him in? right? You got his number. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I've already talked to him. We're working on my next one right now. So, no, I, yeah, I, I see. I, That's the problem. I That's do. the only reason why we don't like it is because the whole thing's been like done better. And so when you hear, I just want to hear Thriller. That's the problem is what we're hearing on it. I think now sounds like what well worn cliches at this point. Right. 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 He's doing so stuff that's going to be done. On thriller so much that I, and also better, and also better, and also here's another thing: there are just these annoying parts where you're listening to something and you're going, "Oh, this could have been a B side for for thriller," and then he gets to the chorus and the other guys kick in with the backing vocals and you're like, "Because thriller doesn't have that. Why are you doing that? He needs to be going." And that's ah, what you got to remember: <laughs> there was no thriller. When this came out, I know, but Thriller was already it, it was already bubbling in his mind. Why are we not? Whip, aside from the fact that ever the whole world's against the Michael Jackson thing right now, okay? Let's just go ahead and say that. I, gonna, I, I was going to. I was going to. Well, I, I wanted know. to talk about that a minute because yeah. I think we've talked about this on the other podcast with yeah. Louis C.K. Do we even? Should we even talk about Michael Jackson records anymore? But how do you talk about the how do you do an eighties music podcast it and existed, not it happened and not cover Thriller? Yeah, I mean you can't. I mean because that, that and what else are you not going to listen to Thriller anymore ever? It is For a real? little bit tainted though. It is because I love Thriller and I love Off the Wall, but now I'm kind of like the guy is icky. And I haven't even seen this thing yet. I'm just reading about it where people are going, you're going to need a shower when you come out of this <laughs> right. thing. You're going to need a hot shower. And the Michael Jackson estate's all against And it. you might go ahead and have your therapist on speed dial because... I think... Uh, what, well, of course. All right, so let me, let me give you some pluses that I think I can suss. For Triumph? Is that, yeah, I think my opinion, or if I had been a, a person guessing, I would have said that somebody wrote the songs... 
and that they called in some studio musicians to do that. And there may be some truth to the studio musician part. I don't know. Well, you know that I saw the breakdown of the songwriting. There's three songs written by non-Michael Jackson people on the record. Which is a pretty good, I mean, there's, that's not bad. There's one written by Jermaine and Tito together, and yeah. then I think two written by Tito. Actually, I like one of the Tito songs. It's okay, yeah. but it doesn't sound like... This baby sounds like a pre-thriller if you take out the Tito and um, Jermaine songs. Um, it sounds like, you know what? It sounds like, I, I think you made a great point that I didn't even think of. It sounds like demos he would have made to give to Q and Quincy Jones would have been like, yeah, we can, we'll we can take, work with this. We'll take this one, this one, and this one and we'll, the rest, yeah. right. But it sounds like it's missing that, Quincy. So it's like, these are demos. These sound like demos. To me, even the cover looks like nobody put any time and effort into this. It was just which is like, weird because off the wall existed, and that was Quincy. I think Quincy would have said, "Don't do this." I think Quincy would have said, "Just wait, man." Who they and the Jacksons produced it themselves, right? Which is probably another, you know, uh, producing by committee. I mean, wasn't their dad? Wasn't their dad still doing? I don't know if he was involved in this one. I don't really. I don't and this know. is also. Like right before Michael Jackson turned into a worldwide, well, also kind of gotten really strange. Like at oh. this at this point, you're still like, oh, he's just kind of cool. And then you start seeing by thrill, you're like, he's his own thing. Something's going on. Here. He's his own guy. That's <laughs> what something, something, something's happening with my, uh, Michael Jackson. But we accept it. You know, we accept. We're gonna turn. We're, gonna, we're all gonna turn a diff, turn turn a blind eye to some of this stuff. <laughs> he because he can so, he can moonwalk, and I I mean we'll I probably can't. have to wait and talk about it during Thriller, but moonwalking took over the entire. Yeah, you know I was thinking about that today. That little thing that kids do today, what this backpack kid dance? Uh-huh. That's, that's the, the, new, the moonwalk. new moonwalk. Like every white kid has to prove his dance cred by doing the most floss. the white boy's dance. You've ever. got a floss, right? The floss. Which was for us was the moonwalk, and I could never figure. I still this day can't figure out how to floss. I've tried. That's a tough one. It's a tough but it, one. you're right. It is the new moonwalk. It is really honestly, Henry. No, all joking aside, I thought once off the wall happened, he had split from the boys, and he just did a reunion record. Because remember, they did that tour after Thriller. They did a reunion. I think it was called Reunion or something like mm-hmm. something like that. Um, I didn't know Triumph even existed. Again, I wish Triumph didn't exist, but can we just uh, Triumph is not a Triumph. It is not. It's it is just a wet a, fart. It's kind of okay. <laughs> it's demos. I mean, if you really, you know, I, I mean, you're going to ask me, do I recommend it now? Oh no, this is the it. only record. No, if you have a limited period of time, don't. No, I'm not going to recommend this record at all. So, Henry, let's sum up the, this uh, half month. Really good. I don't know that I've had one yet that I've recommended four out of five. Yeah, that's why I was trying to text you, like probably telegraphing my mood. I'm like, God, every one of these is really, really good. Well, well, we've both agreed to put scary monsters aside. So, what would for the episode? What would be your recommend of recommends? Uh, XTC. You're going to go Black with Black Sea. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that rec- I was really touched and surprised, and uh, and I think it will sort of help connect the dots. Uh, a lot to to people who like certain kinds of music today. Well, in the spirit of why I did this podcast and for hopefully for people that are out there listening that maybe are like me that are trying to discover stuff that they t- just missed. Obviously most people probably heard B52s a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um check out that Stevie Wonder record. I'm going to recommend 
uh, hotter yeah. than July. It's it, it's tough. I, I got to say that it's, I don't know a lot of Stevie Wonder. In fact, this whole project really has just been about me discovering or pushing myself out of my normal boundaries of what I listen to. And hopefully to. we're doing that for fact, our audience yeah. too. I hope you guys are right there with us because I've discovered, I didn't know it's I cool liked shit. Barbara Streisand. I didn't know I liked Stevie Wonder. I didn't know I liked uh, lots of stuff that we're discovering here yeah. as we go along. And we're only Henry nine months into a, um, a well, decade. I don't have the math skills to say, but it's probably more like 108 months. <laughs> yeah, well, guess what, it's Henry? Really cool. October is also going to be a double episode month. We've got 10 records lined up for the month of October, but we're going to cover in the first episode a band called Rockpile, a little band. I don't, I don't know that I've ever heard of Rockpile. Oh, you're going to love Rockpile. What are you talking about? We're going to cover a little band. Is this you, a good record? You also haven't heard of called U2. Oh, a little band. A little band called, little band? Little band called The Police. Another one called The Talking Heads. And another one called Cheap Trick. And uh, in the second half of October, we're going to look at... Uh, don't tell them yet. I uh, want to save that. Let's let's not tease them with that. Because that's some big ones. There's some big ones, Henry? I just said you two, the police, talking heads, and some Cheap even Trick. bigger ones in the second Well, that's a good enough tease right there. Wow. <laughs> I can't wait to hear who that's going to be. <laughs> if you like our show, or if you like the records we're choosing, please rate and review us on iTunes. You can listen to us on Spotify and Stitcher and share it with your friends. You can chat with us also on Twitter at 80s Exposed. You can email if us. If I can figure out how to reply to your chat. Or your it's weird or, because... What do you call this tweet? If this helps the audience out at all, it has, there's sex in the middle of it. So it looks like 80s Sexposed. Did you do that on purpose? No. It just says that. <laughs> 80s Sexposed. Excellent. So you could you could also remember it like that, or you could put eighties music exposed at gmail dot com, uh, and uh, and that's what we got. Chris, guess what? What's that? I made you a mixtape. Awesome. 